This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. But there's one for love to go. Two fills, fights on. But Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empires are rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep. Urged onto the wire. Onto the wire to win the derby. Mage the winner. Wide up, Mario has taken the lead. Arabian Night gives way. Thermos of the Gake and Oshman Tesoro are trying to close the gap. But it is quite a Mario. Jockey Javier Castellano and trainer Rick Dutrow both had a year to remember. But which resurgence should be considered the comeback of the year in 2023? Plus, what does it really mean when you hear the phrase, he's working like a good horse? And if I were to appoint Dale and Tim co-commissioners of racing here this morning, what would their top New Year's resolutions be for the industry in 2024? We're going to talk about those topics and much, much more straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. All right, gentlemen, the final I Ask, They Answer episode of 2023 before we kick things off next week in 2024. And we begin today's show, appropriately enough, with a trio of topics that were submitted by our listeners over the past week or so. I know how much you guys enjoy when our listeners participate in the show, so here you go. Topic number one, Dale, this one I think more in your wheelhouse than Timmy's, but Tim, feel free to chime in. It comes from John in St. Louis, Missouri, who wants to know, with the new year in sight, how do trainers of multiple derby prospects plan their springs? And how much influence do the owners have with the path to Churchill? And do you try to separate your prospects when you have multiple prospects? Dale, what do you think? Well, it can get complicated if you have more than one, but it depends a lot on if they're owned by the same people. Then you want to try to keep them separate, I know for sure. If um, if they're owned by different people, you just have to look out what's best for the horse and the person and not worrying about your own personal goals. I mean, if it, if the Florida Derby seems like the best spot for two horses owned by two different horses, you run them both and may the best horse win and get the points and move forward. Uh, but if you own horses separately – then you definitely you'd want to keep them, I mean, by the same owner, you definitely want to keep them separate and try to get as many horses as for one owner into a race as you possibly can. I like to say on all my derby prospects that I have, I train for weekends, not for specific races, and look what, what race looks like the best chance to pick up some points and, and, and move the horse forward to the next round. How much influence do the owners have in determining that path to Churchill Downs? Well, owners are different. Some of them are very involved, and some of them aren't involved at all. They just want you to tell them where you think is the best spot. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I like an owner that gets involved. Uh, Allball's, uh, Dennis Allball's son-in-law, Jason Lutz, is always involved with me. We talk almost daily and, and go over things with horses, and we'll talk it out. And it, 
if nothing else, it's just good to banter back and forth and come up with the right decision. But uh, some owners are really involved. Some just kind of want to sit back and enjoy the ride. Do you ever wonder or worry about what other trainers are doing with their horses? Do you try to keep an eye on that, or do you just worry about what you can control with your own horse? Yeah, there's some times if you think a horse is, is getting better but it's not quite ready to take on the champs, you might see where where Todd's running his horse and, and, and not want to go to that spot, go somewhere else and and uh, pick up some points and some prestige along the way. You know, Timmy, I always like to see top horses square off against each other and because of the fact that we often try to, as Dale said, maybe steer around certain horses here and there on the Derby Trail. We don't often get to see it. I'd love to see it where horses, you know, knock heads each and every time that they're that they're on the Derby Trail. They they meet in these big races leading up to it. I think that would be really cool. Well, I do too. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I've never had any kind of uh, dealings with this because I'm not a trainer. But one thing I've always been interested in, I'm going to ask Dale this. Dale, do you ever get an owner – that has a horse on the Derby trail and you have other horses on the Derby trail too, that would try to ask you not to run another horse against his. You know, I've never had that on the Derby trail. Uh, I've had some owners in the past not not want me to run entries. And I said, I got, if I, if I didn't run this person's horse here, that's the right spot for the horse. I might do the same thing for you down the road. And uh, you have to understand that I work for different people and I have to do what's best for each person individually. Is it, is it, um, does it get, um, tricky sometimes when you're dealing with these egos of some of the owners? It, it could be a little tricky at times, but most of them are, are sportsmen and they don't mind. They understand. And at least the ones I deal with are pretty top notch people and they understand that you got to do what's best for everybody. What do you do if you have more than one going in one race and in your mind, you know who the better horse is? Obviously, you have to keep that to yourself. How do you prepare an owner when, in your mind, maybe he, he his horse can't win, but he's you have to give him put the face on that he can. Well, I don't know that you put the face on that it can. You can tell him you want to. You just got to tell the truth and tell him what you think. But you would be surprised how many times the horse you think is the lesser of the two ups and runs the big race. Right, right, and that's that's why you're going in there. Real quiet and uh, Indian Charlie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it happens It happens a lot. You'll see a lot of guys have multiple horses in a race and, and just average races, and the longest price on the, the longest of the two ends up winning the race. The other so Lucas horse. We, we used to hear like, that all the time with Wayne Lucas. Yeah, you, yeah, you have to prepare them all like they're going to win the race and point them there and hope for the best for every horse. Timmy, my New Year's resolution is to let you host this show. Those were great questions, my friend. <laughs> well, that's pretty darn nice of you to say that, Mike. Um, but but I think I'm going to stay on my side. I'm going to stay on my side of the road. <laughs> well, we appreciate John with that topic. John, that was a fantastic topic. Here's another good one from Craig in Boynton Beach, Florida, who says, "Oftentimes, trainers are going to ship horses to a track, and another trainer will watch over the horses." as it preps for a specific race. How do those arrangements work in terms of fees? Does the trainer overseeing the horse get a daily fee and or a percentage of the purse? And is there a standard protocol for this situation, or is each arrangement unique? Dale? 
Well, each arrangement's unique, but most of the time you're sending a horse to a friend of yours, and it's just a pro bono thing. They, you just oversee it, and they tell you what they want to do every morning or with their horse to train. They're actually training the horse. You just have it in the barn. Sometimes they'll send a groom with it. Sometimes if they can't get a groom, you'll have one of your grooms take care of it. But most of the time we reciprocate back and forth with one another, and we're, you know, it's, the horse is with a friend anyway, and you know you're going to make it up later. So do they, uh, like the feed, do they pay the feed or do you do that? Uh, usually we'll just, we'll just pay for it all when they ship into my barn anyway, if they want us to. A lot of times they'll send their own feed because they're on their, their diet anyway. So they'll send the feed along with it. You just feed them as they go. And, um, but that happens a lot. And I think everybody has their contacts at each region. If you ship, like if I go to New York, or you go to Carlos Martin or, or Rick Dutrow has, looked over some horses for me or Rick has sent horses into my barn even to run on Derby day. And, uh, we'll look over them for him until he gets there and his people get there. Yeah. I remember some stories were, um, I'm not going to name names, but some trainers were a little irritated or ticked off that someone didn't send a horse to them and rather than send them to someone else. It was like when Frank oh, yeah. Sinatra it was like when Frank Sinatra wanted Kennedy to stay at his compound and he stayed somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. Some. Yeah. We, we don't. Mind. We like helping each other. I think, and for the most part. And, I mean, I've shipped horses uh, California to different guys to look over for me. They've sent them from California. I've had some for Hollendorfer, for like say Dutro, for Carlos Martin, and, and uh, a lot of people. It just you just got to help each other out. Okay. Have you ever had someone ask you that you don't know? Uh, I know just about everybody, so not very often does that happen. But if there's somebody new coming along and don't know and needs some help, I'm willing to help them. Oh, Craig, that's yeah. a great question, great topic. And if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim debate, this is a good time to remind you that all you have to do is email that topic to me, mike at horseracingradio.net, and I'll get it worked in. Or you can send it to us on our social media, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing radio network on facebook and we'll work it into the show for you topic number three is also a listener submitted question it comes from rick via email who wants to know that you often hear people around the racetrack use the phrase quote he's working like a good horse or some version of that so rick wants to know if you guys could explain that phrase to a fan up in the grandstand how would you do that how would you explain it to them and what should one look for when watching the races and the horses to determine if they are quote unquote a good horse. Timmy, you want this one first? What things do you look for? Well, again, I'm not a trainer, but I've been around the game long enough where if I'm watching a horse in the mornings, I'm looking, I'm looking for some, a horse that seems calm, relaxed on the track. Um, and, and, and just seems to go about his business. I mean, uh, an example of that this year was Archangelo where he, Early on in his career, he was kind of goofing around on the track a lot and, you know, not getting too up to his task and, you know, like a big kid. But as he matured, you know, you'd see him when when he was out on the track at Saratoga the week leading up to the Travers. He had grown from a boy to a man. He wasn't goofing around on the track and just looking around. He was into doing what he was supposed to be doing on the track. So, yeah, he, he was focused and on uh, – and you know, on the muscle, as they say, and and he knew what he was out there to do. And I think that's when you, the good ones you see that in a lot. Um, and it, it's a process, I would think. Dale could probably say more about that than me. But when when a horse 
is a young horse and he just starting to get into this game and learn to what he's supposed to be doing you know you you see it as he as he advances in his training and he does things and he he looks more professional he knows what he's supposed to do out there that's what i think to me i mean dale might uh, have some other ideas on that no i think you're dead on i think mostly you use that term on horses that haven't proven themselves yet as top horses and if they're training like a good one, they're doing everything right. They're on a consistent work pattern every every week and uh, doing the things that a good horse does. You know, we you can tell when one is not good and they just swell when they can't run. So, but if they're if they're doing everything that they're supposed to do, they can, they have the potential to develop into a top racehorse, and you can just tell the difference in them. If I was a layman just out there watching, I just look for a horse that uh, handles himself well, doesn't get too worked up. And it, it, on the form, if you're handicapping, has has worked every week and hasn't missed any work and is doing a lot of things that they're supposed to do. And, you know, there's a lot of horses can train like good horses end up being just average horses. They just don't seem to break through. But to say one is training like a good horse, it means they have the potential to get to the top. Dale, What's that line you call that people it, say can... that they leave the – I was going to I'm sorry, I was just going to say that line where people say they – he leave their race on, on the track in the morning. Yeah, that's usually a horse that wants to do too much in the mornings all the time, and it's too aggressive. And you know, you hear people that don't come to the races a lot go to the paddock and see a horse acting up and stuff, and they think, "Well, that's the one I'm gonna bet on. He's showing a lot of energy." Well, usually that's the one that you don't want to bet on. You want a one that goes out there as professional, standing there doing things right, and hadn't got worked up. And I mean. There's some horses like Shackler, he got worked up all the time, so that it wouldn't have played for him. But most of the good ones go over there and do things professionally and act right. Dale, can you recall a horse in your career, and I'm sure there's been several, where they didn't train like a good horse and you were thinking, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with this horse? He can't run. And then all of a sudden, boom, something happens, the light bulb goes on, and the horse turns out to be really good. I've had a few, but they're far few and far between that, uh, that that usually happens, that they surprise you the wrong way. Usually it goes the other way. They're doing everything right, but they go out in the race and they just can't run. But I have had several horses that uh, trained well and did everything right. They were good, sound horses and, and didn't run well the first few times, but you just stick with them and, and they come around and they do. They end up being pretty nice horses. I had a horse, uh, I think his name was NBC. It took him seven or eight times to break his maiden, and then he made 900000 and won great stakes. And He'd always trained like a good one. We just we knew it was in there. It just took a while for him to put it all together on the racetrack on race day. How long does it take you to know if a horse can can be a good racehorse if they have that it factor? Well, you got. I think to to really know, you've got to run them a couple of times. You got to see what they do at the races. And uh, I tell all my clients, I say, I really can't tell you how good this horse is, but I can tell you when you got a bad one. Uh, pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll keep those questions coming each and every week. Mike at horseracingradio.net, one way to submit them, and you can do it on our social media pages too. And I know Dale and Tim really enjoy them. We'll get those worked into the show going forward. Guys, it is that time of the program where we say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong. Okay, one statement for you, but it's a big one. Jockey Javier Castellano and trainer Rick Dutrow both had a year to remember in 2023. Castellano won seven grade one races with five different horses, including the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont, and the Travers. 
Dutro returned to training in the U.S. following his 10-year ban and quickly found himself back on top, winning three graded stakes, which were highlighted by the Whitney and the Breeders' Cup Classic with White Abario. Dutro's return is pretty remarkable, his return to prominence. But I'm going to say Javier Castellano's resurgent at the age of 46 should be the top comeback story of 2023. Is that right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Timmy? You know, that's a tricky one because, you know, both Rick and Javier had, you know, phenomenal years. Um, I guess I would have to say it's right because Castellano, um, you know, he came, his career was seemingly over a couple years ago after he had the COVID bout and he had the hip surgery. Then he was no one was riding them, but he persevered and he came back. And you know, Derby, you know, Belmont Travers, Jack Club Gold Cup, won 19 million in purses. And, and again, at the age of 46, but that's not taking anything away from Rick Dutro either. I mean, it's uh, he's always been a phenomenal horseman, and you know, he he did his time. And a lot of you know, it, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are still negative on him, but he with White of Barrio, he showed that. He knows what to do with a good horse. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before he gets a whole bunch of good horses and, and is right back on top of the game as far, not, not in the realm of winning like the Pletchers and the Chad Browns, but I think with good horses, he's going to be a, a big player. But for the comeback story for the year, I would, I would give it to Javier. I want to say you're wrong. I'm going to disagree with both of you. I think Javier has always been a top rider. I think that he just wasn't getting the horses for a little while. And uh, he, he finally got the horses back, and he, he he rode like he always rode. I mean, you can go back on the show. I know several times I've said he could ride any horse of mine at any time, even when he wasn't winning as much as he had early in his career. But I think for Rick to be unjustly suspended for 10 years as he was and to come back and do what he did and bounce right back where he left off, it's, uh, he's definitely my comeback player of the year. But wouldn't with Javier? I mean, it's it's a comeback story because he didn't do that last year. And I get what you're saying about Rick, believe me. But I mean, maybe it's just apples and oranges with this one. I, yeah, it, it probably is. But I think Javier riders are secular. You know, it's, 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 a lot depends on the horses they get. He just wasn't getting the top horses, and as soon as he got on the horses, he was still riding good. Dale, as a fellow trainer, put in perspective exactly how incredible it is what Rick Dutrow has been able to accomplish in such a short period of time here in 2023. I was just an incredible feat. I mean, just uh, to be out 10 years and come back and as soon as you walk in, you got horses. It just shows how much his people supported him before he left and and uh, how much he kept up with the game. And I say we had so many changes in the last 10 years. It's inc- it just shocked me, and I, I know what a great horse trainer is, but it even shocked me as how quickly he rebounded and filled the barn up and, and to go on and win our, our fall's biggest race. was It was an incredible feat. I was very happy for him. That's an interesting conversation. Both Javier Castellano, Rick Dutro, special years, and both very deserving of the title. Comeback quote-unquote player of the year in thoroughbred racing. That is I asked the, or that is not I asked the answer. We're not wrapping up the show yet. That is right or wrong with our good friend Nick Zito. We will bring that segment back again as we do every week next Saturday morning when we when we bring you I asked the answer, but we're not done yet. One more topic to get to before Dale and Tim make their final point of the week. And guys, if if I'm going to go ahead and declare 
each of you co-commissioners of Thoroughbred Racing for this final segment here this morning. As commissioners, what are your top New Year's resolutions for the industry looking ahead to 2024? Timmy, you want this one first? Do I get paid for this? <laughs> no, it's a non-paying position. This is all okay, just a hypo- hypothetical situation. That's okay. Well, obviously, you, you, the, 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 the politically correct answer is to say, you know, you want universal safety f- for the horses. And, you know, that's been we've spoke about that um, forever on this show and other people have, too. But I'm going to throw a few other things out there. Here's one. I want to get Richard Migliori on the Hall of Fame ballot. He, he, this is a rider who had a great career in New York. Yeah, he didn't win a Triple Crown race, but he's, he's, he was a consummate professional. And I think there's riders in there that he was better than. I would I would want to get Richard on the on the ballot. And another thing I think that I would like to, ha- to have done, in light of the way that uh, recently that there's been so much. Uh, complaining and maybe rightfully so about some of the stewards uh, judgments in races i think that every trainer jockey and owner should each get a challenge flag five per meet to throw a flag and then like they do in the nfl throw the red flag to uh challenge the stewards decision you know there'd have to be some work going into this because you'd have to have a you know a universal desk like they do in the NFL going to New York to to look at the uh, infractions and if the you know if the challenge is uh, is upheld um, and the, and the owner the jockey the trainer wins they you know they they get the person and whatever but if they lose the challenge I think each trainer owner or jockey who throws the flag has to make a $500 contribution to the PDJF or the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Those would be, I would like to see that happen. I don't know if it ever will, but I think it would be kind of cool. Yeah, it would be cool. I'd need more than five, though. Um, <laughs> five per meet. Five per meet. We can't have you do it. Yeah. can't have you do it every day. I'd be throwing that flag all the time. Uh, I think if I was made commissioner, I think, first of all, We've had this rollout of uh, ISA that uh, oversees our game now and is our, our regulatory body. I think that it's morphing into a better program, and they're learning a lot, and it's getting better. I would just say that we, we keep working with them and try to try to make the rules and regulations uniform everywhere and, and uh, fair for everybody. I think that if anybody's cheating, that they need to be out there looking for them and catching them, but they also need to be protecting people who have outside contaminant problems that are trying to do everything right. I think working with HISA is the big goal for this year, and I think that's a possible doable thing. With, with Hypothetical or not, I think it can work. Yeah, one thing I'd like to see happen in 2024, I, if it was my New Year's resolution, I would be um, really committed to trying to find a way to create a a PR and marketing firm for the sport of thoroughbred racing. I think there are several times in this environment that we're all living in, in this industry where a PR firm would be, you know, to get our positive messages out would be a, a huge step in the right direction. And, you know, marketing, you know, that's something that's been talked about in thoroughbred racing for generations and it just doesn't seem to happen in the right way, but getting our message out there and, and, reaching an audience that's going to bet the races and come to the races. I, I think that's critical for the future success of the game. I agree a hundred percent. That would be great. 
Yep. That would yep. Be and I also agree on I also agree on Richard Migalori. We need to get him in the Hall of Fame. Well deserving Hall of Fame career. Yep, incredible resume for the MIG, and um, that's that's a good one, Timmy. I like that. All right, it is time in the show for you to make one final point. We'll do it with Dale and Tim. And, Dale, let's uh, go to you first this week. What is your final point of the week on this final show in 2023? Well, first of all, it's been a, it's been a great year. It's been a lot of fun horse racing this year. We had a lot to talk about. But I really appreciate this show and our listeners and uh, – it's a highlight of my week for a half hour a day to get to sit around with you guys and talk about horse racing to people who want to hear about horse racing. And I want to say anybody out there that listens to the show, if you ever see me at the track, give me a yell and let me know what you're watching. Very nice, Dale. Very nicely said. Um, I agree with everything he just said, but with this being our last show of the year, with New Year's right around the corner, a couple days, um, I just want to say there were so many great stories that, that happened in 2023. There were some bad ones, too. But if I was just going to name my story of the year for um, 2023, um, <laughs> there, it would be a photo finish for a bunch of them. But I think I would put the Cody's Wish story right at, right at the wire as, as the best story of horse racing that, that brought the sport together, that, that made, I think, made fans of you know, non-horse racing people became fans of horse racing because of the heart-wrenching story of Cody's Wish and Cody Dorman. Yeah, great points, Agreed. guys, and, and a perfect way to end 2023. I'm going to throw one out here, too, because over the past couple of weeks, and of course we, we didn't do a live show last week for Christmas, but over the past couple of weeks, our listeners have reached out to us telling us how much they enjoy this segment, how much do they enjoy listening to both Dale and Tim, and we want to say thank you to each and every one of our listeners, but so many of you also expressed your gratitude toward Dale for his very brave statements this past summer when he came out and talked about his battle with alcoholism and seeking help for that. And Dale, we received a beautiful note from a listener who even said that helped him and his family through, through um, you know, to put everything in perspective. And your comments, your situation, your bravery uh, is changing lives out there, Dale, and it's had an impact. So, um, thank you for that, my friend, and all the best in 2024. Thank you, buddy. 94 days today. Bravo. Unbelievable. Congratulations. Right. Proud of you, brother. Thank you, fellas. All right, guys. Uh, if you want to have a, if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, just email it to me, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. We'll get it worked in. Guys, appreciate it. Happy New Year. We'll talk next week. Happy New Year. Hey, happy New, New Year. Years. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network.